Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Sunday, November 20th. Journey with me through the entire Bible in one year, focusing on the biblical calendar, the Sabbath, the feasts, and the Torah reading cycle. We have many voices, interpretations, and points of view out there, but there is nothing like listening to the crystal clean, pure Word of God in your life. It is living water for your spirit. As it is written in Romans 10:17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. When we listen to the spoken Word of God, it is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 The Word of God is alive, it is powerful, and it renews our mind and builds up our spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and from the King James for the Brit Hadashah. Today we begin a new Torah portion, Toldot, and it means generations. Genesis 25, 19-26-5 This is the story of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was forty years old when he took to wife Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aran, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac pleaded with Hashem on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and Hashem responded to his plea, and his wife Rebekah conceived. But the children struggled in her womb, and she said, If so, why do I exist? She went to inquire of Hashem, and Hashem answered her, Two nations are in your womb. Two separate peoples shall issue from your body. One people shall be mightier than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first one emerged red, like a hairy mantle all over, so they named him 
Esau. Then his brother emerged, holding on to the heel of Esau. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when they were born. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the outdoors. But Jacob was a mild man who stayed in camp. Isaac favored Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah favored Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the open, famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Give me some of that red stuff to gulp down, or for I am famished, which was why he was named Edom. Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, I am at the point of death, so of what use is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob then gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate and drank, and he rose and went away. Thus did Esau spurn the birthright. There was a famine in the land, aside from the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Hashem had appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I point out to you. Reside in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I will assign all these lands to you and to your heirs, fulfilling the oath that I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your heirs as numerous as the stars of heaven, and assign to your heirs all these lands, so that all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by your heirs. Inasmuch as Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my laws, and my teachings. Ezekiel 40, 28-41-26 He now took me into the inner forecourt through its south gate. When he measured this south gate, it had the same measurements as the foregoing. Its recesses, its supports, and its vestibule had the same measurements. Both it and its vestibule had windows on both sides. It was fifty amot long and twenty-five amot wide. Vestibules on both sides, twenty-five amot long and five amot wide. Its vestibule, however, gave on the outer court. Its supports were adorned on either side with palms, and its staircase consisted of eight steps. When he took me to the eastern side of the inner forecourt, and when he measured the gate there, he got the same measurements. Its recesses, supports, and vestibules had the above measurements. Both it and its festival had windows on both sides. It was fifty a moat long and twenty-five a moat wide, and its vestibule gave on the outer court. Its supports were decorated on both sides with palm trees, and its staircase consisted of eight steps. Then he took me to the north gate and found its measurements to be identical. 
with the same recesses, supports, vestibule, windows on both sides, and a length of 50 a moat, and a width of 25 a moat. Its supports gave on the outer court. Its supports were decorated on both sides with palm trees, and its staircase consisted of eight steps. A chamber opened into the gate. There the burnt offering would be washed. And inside the vestibule of the gate there were two tables on each side, at which the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering were to be slaughtered. While outside, as one goes up toward the opening of the north gate, there were two tables on one side, and there were two tables on the other side of the gate's vestibule. Thus, there were four tables on either flank of the gate, eight tables in all, at which the sacrifices were to be slaughtered. As for the four tables for the burnt offering, they were of hewn stone, one and a half a moat long, one and a half a moat wide, and one ama high. On them were laid out the instruments with which burnt offerings and sacrifices were slaughtered. Shelves and one tefah wide were attached all around the inside, and the sacrificial flesh was laid on the tables. There were chambers for singers in the inner forecourt, one beside the north gate facing south and one beside the east gate facing north. The man explained to me, The chamber that faces south is for the Kohanim who perform the duties of the temple, and the chamber that faces north is for the Kohanim who perform the duties of the altar. They are the descendants of Zadok, who alone of the descendants of Levi may approach Hashem to minister to him. He then measured the forecourt, one hundred amot long and one hundred amot broad, foursquare. In front of the temple stood the altar. He took me into the portico of the temple and measured it. The jams of the portico were five amot deep on either side. The width of the gate opening was fourteen amot, and the flanking wall of the gate was three amot on either side. The portico was twenty amot wide and eleven amot deep, and it was by steps that it was reached. There were columns by the jams on either side. He then led me into the great hall. He measured the jams, six amot on either side, such was the depth of each jam. The entrance was ten amot wide, and the flanking walls of the entrance were each five amot wide. Next he measured the depth of the hall, forty amot, and the width, twenty amot. And then he entered the inner room. He measured each jam of the entrance, two amot deep, the entrance itself, six amot across, and the width, the flanking wall on either side of the entrance, seven amot. Then he measured the depth, twenty amot, and the width at the inner end of the great hall was also twenty amot. And he said to me, This is the Holy of Holies. Then he measured the wall of the temple, and it was six amot thick on every side of the temple, and the side chamber measured four amot across. 
The side chambers were arranged one above the other in 33 sections. All around there were projections in the temple wall to serve the side chambers as supports so that their supports should not be the temple wall itself. The winding passage of the side chambers widened from story to story. And since the structure was furnished all over with a winding passage from story to story, the structure itself became wider from story to story. It was by this means that one ascended from the bottom story to the top, one by way of the middle one. I observed that the temple was surrounded by a raised pavement. The foundations of the side chambers, its elevation was a rod's length, or six amot. The outer wall of the side chamber was five amot thick, and that which served as a walk between the temple's side chambers, and the chamber complexes was twenty amot wide all around the temple, of entrances to the side chambers giving on the walk. There was one entrance on the north side, and one entrance on the south side, and the space of the walk was five amot thick all around. And the structure that fronted on the vacant space at the temple's western end was seventy amot deep. The walls of the structure were five amot thick on every side, and it was ninety amot wide. He measured the total depth of the temple, one hundred amot, and the depth of the vacant space and of the structure with its walls also came to one hundred amot. The front side of the temple like the vacant space on the east, was one hundred amot wide. He also measured the width of the structure facing the vacant space in the rear, inclusive of its ledges, one hundred amot. Both the great hall inside and the portico next to the court, the thresholds and the windows with frames and the ledges at the threshold, all over the three parts of each were completely overlaid with wood. There was wainscoting from the floor to the windows, including the window frames, and extending above the openings both in the inner temple and outside. All over the wall, both in the inner one and in the outer, ran a pattern. It consisted of cherubs and palm trees, with a palm tree between every two cherubs. Every cherub had two faces. A human face turned toward the palm tree on one side, and a lion's face turned toward the palm tree on the other side. This was repeated all over the temple. The cherubs and the palm trees were carved on the wall from the floor to above the openings. As regards the great hall, the great hall had four doorposts and before the shrine was something resembling a wooden altar three amot high and two amot long, and having inner corners, and its length and its walls were of wood. And he said to me, This is the table that stands before Hashem. The great hall had a double door, and the shrine likewise had a double door, and each door had two swinging leaves, two for the one door and two such leaves for the other. Cherubs and palm trees were carved on these, on the doors of the hall, just as they were carved on the walls. 
and there was a lattice of wood outside in front of the portico. And there were windows with frames and palm trees on the flanking walls of the portico, on either side of the entrance, and on the temple's side chambers, and on the lattices. James 4, 1-17 From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture says in vain, The Spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? But it gives more grace. Wherefore he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that spreads evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the Torah and judges the Torah. But if you judge the Torah, you are not a doer of the Torah, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you that judge another? Go to now, you that say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Psalm 118, 19-29 Open to me the gates of righteousness, I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise you, for you have heard me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. 
God is the Lord, which has shown us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Proverbs 28, 3-5 A poor man that oppresses the poor is like a sweeping rain which leaves no food. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understands all things. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from Genesis chapter 25, and then we're going to jump into Ezekiel 40 and 41. And in these chapters, chapter 25 and 26, we see the introduction of the two characters of Jacob and Esau. And I want to unpack some things and expand on some things here about these two brothers. I want to begin with a verse, chapter 25, verse 22. Rebecca becomes pregnant. She was barren. She prays to the Lord, and then Rebecca conceived. And in chapter 25, verse 22, it says in the King James Version, And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So I wanted to read that King James Version because it really is a little bit more clear of what's going on in the womb. The children struggled. That word struggled in the Hebrew is rasas. And that word rasas means to crush, to oppress, to crush in pieces, and to grievously oppress. So what's going on here is that there is a a fight going on from within the womb. And later on, as we read about the birth of these two boys, Esau comes out first, and then Jacob comes out, and his hand is above his his own head and trying to grab a hold of the heel of his brother. Now, I believe Jacob has been greatly misunderstood and mis, uh, maligned in understanding him. I believe Esau was trying to crush his brother's head with his heel. And as you know, with a newborn baby, there's a soft spot on the top of the head that doesn't really harden until later, after the head and the brain has grown. That soft spot can be very easily injured. And they're struggling within the womb with oppression, with a sense of crushing. And I believe Esau hated his brother from within the womb and tried to crush his head. And this is why. Jacob put his hand over his head to protect that soft spot. Now let's read on and understand more about these two, because God tells Rebecca about these two boys and that they are going to be two nations. 
Genesis 25, verse 23. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from your bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So in other words, Esau, who came out first, shall serve the younger. And when they were delivered, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. So Esau, in the Hebrew, it means literally hairy. So he's got red hair, and he's very hairy. He's got a lot of hair all over his body. And then after that, his brother comes out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And like I said, others have interpreted Jacob as a supplanter. You know, he supplants his brother. But I believe Jacob was simply trying to protect himself from being stomped on from his brother's heel onto his head. It goes on to say that the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Now, to dwell in tents, that's a Hebrew idiom for someone who studies the Torah. When you sit down to study the Bible, you don't do it when you're riding on your donkey or your horse out in the field. You sit down in your home, and they lived in tents back then. And so you sit in your tent, and that's where you sit, and you study the Torah. So Jacob was a man of the word of God. He loved to study the Torah, whereas Esau is a cunning hunter. Okay, now later on we find that in verse... Chapter 25, verse 30, Jacob makes some pottage, some lentil stew, and Esau comes in from the field, and he is famished. He's very faint, and Esau says to Jacob, Feed me, I pray, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore his name was called Edom. And again, that word Edom, in the Hebrew, it means red. Now, when you think about who are the descendants of Esau, we have Haman is like the great-great-grandson of Esau. And Haman hated the Jews and wanted to wipe them out and completely wipe them off the map. We have Amalek. And Amalek is like the grandson of Esau and Amalek also attacked the Israelites and they were always at war. Amalek was constantly trying to pick them off and and destroy them. And so Esau and Jacob they're at war with each other. Their descendants are at war with each other. And I think that Esau was dominating, oppressive and abusive to his brother Jacob. 
And if that's true, if that dynamic was going on throughout their childhood and in their growing up years together, as we continue on in the story as it unfolds, it will explain a lot as to why Jacob does what he does. I don't think it's because he's a coward. I think he's simply, he's trying to preserve and protect his life and the life of his family from being killed. So, um, but I believe it started from within the womb, the struggle from within the womb. Okay, let's continue on now. What What's it's interesting and important to understand the origins of this great conflict because the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau live today. And there's a spiritual battle that is going on today between the descendants of Jacob, that is, those who love the God of Israel, those who love his word, those who love to read it and study it and put it into practice in their life, and between the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau. Now think about it. The communist nations of China and Russia, are no, it's known as Red China. And communism is associated with the color red. The color red is also associated with anger. It's associated with blood. And the communist flag is red. So we see a great struggle going on even today between the descendants of Esau and Edom and the descendants of Jacob. Edom was always a great enemy of Israel throughout history. Edom gave rise to Rome. Rome was extremely oppressive in the days of Yeshua. Rome gave us Greece, or Greece gave us Rome. And Rome gave us Western civilization. And today we have the New World Order globalists the ultra-filthy-rich billionaires that want to make slaves of the rest of us and reduce the world population. I can't prove it, but I would venture to guess and theorize that a lot of those globalists are probably spiritual descendants of Esau. So there's a great struggle, an end-time struggle, that's going to go on and is going on between the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau. Now I want to turn our attention to Ezekiel chapter 40 and 41. And I want to just comment, when we read in Ezekiel 38 and 39, it was all about this end-time terrible war of Gog and Magog. And the Lord revealed this to Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw a lot. He saw the invasion of Babylon. He saw his people taken into captivity and go into Babylon, into exile, and and the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. He saw all that. And then he also saw into the future of this future invasion of Israel by a coalition of nations, the Gog-Magog coalition, that would come down and swoop down into Israel and attack them. And then, of course, the Lord intervened. So he saw that. And I believe 
God also gave him this tremendous vision of the final third temple as an encouragement. He saw all this destruction and this tremendous vision of this third temple is an incredible encouragement that even though there's going to be destruction and the, and the temple is going to be destroyed and burnt down, that there is a third temple coming. And one of the principles that comes out of it is he tells him, measure the pattern. God works in patterns, in repeating patterns. And he tells Ezekiel to measure the pattern. Now the rabbis and the ancients teach that if you study the temple, that it's as though you're actually building it. You are participating in the building of the temple when you study the temple. Why is that so? Because first you have to catch a vision of it. Without a vision, my people perish. What do you start with? when Before you begin construction, you start with blueprints. There's an architect who designs a building and puts it on paper, and that's the blueprints. And when you study the temple, in a sense, that's the blueprint, the vision for it. And if you don't have a vision for it, it's not going to get built. But if you do have a vision and you see the blueprint and you study it, that's the beginning of actually building it. And so there is going to be a third temple. These chapters we've been reading in Ezekiel give us the details of it. Now, how that comes about will be interesting to watch. Will it be by the hand of man? Or will it be Yeshua himself? You see, sometimes in mainstream Christianity, we try to spiritualize it all away. Oh, well, the temple, it's in my heart. The altar, that's my heart. And and it's all inward. It's all inside of us. And yes, that's true. Each one of us is a building block. And when we gather together, the building blocks all come together. And Yeshua is the chief cornerstone. Yes, this is true. But there literally is going to be literally a third temple. And there will literally be sacrifices done in this third temple. And the Zadok uh, line of priesthood will be revived. And they will have temple priestly duties to perform. And so there's something more to this temple that we need to understand and study and learn and put into practice in our lives. The temple is very precious to the Lord. Now, we don't worship the building. We worship the one who inhabits the building. But you see, that temple was a centrality of focus to Israeli life back then. It was the place where they would gather. It was the place where they would pray. It was the place where they would worship. It was the place where they would commune with God. And then when the temple was destroyed and they were put into exile, it was it was a crushing blow. Let's look at chapter 41, verse 18 where it is written, It consisted of cherubs and palm trees, with a palm tree between every two cherubs. Each cherub had two faces. The Israel Bible commentary to this verse reads as follows. On the walls of the inner and outer chambers 
of the temple in Ezekiel's vision are cherubs and palm trees. These two items also appear in Solomon's temple. The significance of the cherubs as dividers between mankind and God has been discussed. The palm tree symbolizes righteousness and longevity. In fact, in 2005, a date palm was successfully grown from a 2,000-year-old seed found on Masada, becoming the oldest seed ever to be brought back to life. The tree, nicknamed Methuselah, after the longest living figure in the Bible, is now over two meters tall and has sprouted flowers. Ancient Judean dates were known to have healing properties, and Israeli researchers are hoping that Methuselah will also have medicinal qualities that will benefit future generations. I'm going to leave off there, and we will see you tomorrow. Shalom. Adonai Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.